The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Thank you, Reverend Barry. Thank you, Patty. I do want to note that Patty quoted, you may have not heard it when the microphone went off, my, one of my favorite sages, Scooby-Doo, when she said, ruh row. I love that. <laughs> so good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful to be here to be a part of continuing Dr. Rogers' awesome series on Rising Above. Hasn't it been fantastic? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Rising Above, but we're also taking time to talk about the basics of our philosophy. And, you know, we, we call ourselves a lot of things here, don't we? We're Mile High Church, we're a center for spiritual living, we are science of mind. And can anyone tell me what our denomination is? (laughs) Religious science. And uh, if if you want, you can say that along with me. I am a religious scientist. Come on. I am a religious scientist. Doesn't that feel good? I'm proud of that. You know, I don't... Do you feel like a Scientologist when you say that? And if you've been in this movement for a while, you know that one of the most dreaded questions for a religious scientist is, what is religious science? It's not that it's hard to explain, but it's just different than the traditional. You know, we're not trying to teach you a doctrine here. Uh, We're trying to promote a lifestyle. We're not here to welcome all people so that you can think just like us. We're here to create a space of, of diversity and diverse opinions about life. We're all about staying open-minded. Uh, there's an old joke that conveys this idea. There's a, a white man and a black man, and they're really close friends, and they only really disagree on one issue, and it's about God. And the white guy thinks that God is a white man, and the black man's sure that God is a black man. And so they argue and argue about this, and it just happens that they die on the same day, like Jefferson and Adams. And it just happens that they find that they're in heaven, lucky them, and they're in a waiting room and they're going to get to meet God. And they can't wait. We're going to finally find out, is God white or is God black? And, you know, too bad they don't have money in heaven. They put some money on it. Uh, And they, they finally come into God's office and God is there and she turns to them and says, buenos dias, señores. And I know it's a little corny, but it... It conveys something important about us is that we we honor our point of view on the divine, but we're always about staying open at the top, always open to being surprised. Ernest Holmes, our founder, was once asked to define religious science in 25 words or less. And he said, religious science is a correlation of laws of science, opinions of philosophy, and revelations of religion applied to human needs and the aspirations of man. Pretty good, right? Laws of science, opinions of philosophy, revelations of religion. What does laws of science mean? Well, one thing that it means to me is that we embrace science in our church. We love science. We can see science uh, and spirit in evolution. We can look 
at the planet Earth. And we have a slide of it here for you. And not be upset to see that the Earth isn't the center of the universe, but to be able to look out and see that it's part of a sea of the cosmos. We look at something that appears to have no beginning or end, and we see God there. We see God in the infiniteness of space and also in the tiniest of things. We look at something like the the human genome, something so small yet so beautiful, and the same infinity we see in the cosmos, we see in the smallest aspect of life. You know, when I look at that, I don't ask myself the question, do I believe in God? I ask myself the question, how can I not believe in God? How can I not see the sacred in life? How can I miss it? We have principles in our philosophy, principles of oneness, principles of uniqueness, and we look to science to prove those for us. There's a recent book that came out by A.J. Jacobs called It's All Relative, where he really gets into the science of oneness and the fact that literally we're all one family. We're all related. He's a Jewish guy from New York and discovers that Barack Obama is his distant cousin. He sits his wife down and breaks her the news that they're actually related. They're cousins. And he decides he's going to put on, that's funny, right? He uh, decides he's going to put on the world's largest family reunion. And everybody's invited. He even hires Sister Sledge to sing We Are Family. (laughs) And and he's looking at DNA in this. And I just can't wait till they, they get these results faster so we can go to a white supremacist rally and say, here, take this. And we can say, I've got some interesting news for you. (laughs) You're probably not going to believe this. So that's the the science part of religious science. Philosophy. We love wisdom in this church. We are open at the top. And you want to hear something corny? I figured this out. So you can say, I'm open at the top, open from the bottom, open from the side, Open from within. See, the village people were religious scientists. You got it? We're open at the top here. We're always wanting to expand, which means we do not discriminate against wisdom. It doesn't matter if it came from a prophet a thousand years ago or from your grandmother ten years ago or from your crazy Uncle Rick. We want all wisdom. We embrace it here, and it's one of the things that I love about our church so much, especially when we gather for our classes. We get together, and we don't solve all the world's problems. We don't answer all of life's mystery, but we talk about it. We explore these questions, and we leave deeper because of it. Kenneth Burke, a philosopher, described philosophy as the unending conversation. The unending conversation. He uses the following analogy. Imagine that you walk into a tavern and you realize you're late. All your friends and all these people are all sitting around and so you get your drink of choice, a Coors Light, a Chai Tea Latte, uh, whatever it is. And you you sit down and you listen. You listen to folks um, argue and discuss um, the meaning of life. And finally, when you feel you have enough information, you, you chime in yourself. You put in your two cents. 
You share from your experience. And there's people that agree with you and certain people that see it a different way, but, but you add something that only you could add to that conversation. And eventually the hour grows late. You're tired and you have to go and you leave, but the conversation continues. Isn't that kind of a beautiful idea that we're all contributing to the conversation? And I don't know about you, but I think the, country, the conversation in our country needs some up-leveling. The conversation in our personal lives probably needs some up-leveling, up-leveling in our culture. And we do that when we practice our values in these things. And that's why I want to really give that charge, too, to, to take one of our classes here. Because when done well, they're not about telling you what to think or what to believe. They're exploring life's deepest questions together in such a way that we leave better each week. What an awesome thing. So sign up for Beyond Limits or whatever it may be. So that's the, the philosophy part of religious science. We're a living philosophy We're always growing and yet holding to our basic principles. Revelations of religion. What does that mean? It means that we honor that mystical thread that moves through all faiths. We seek it, and some it might be a little harder than others. But we realize that the teachers of these great faiths generally taught what we teach here. It's often the followers that taught it in a different way. The teachers taught it to awaken us, and sometimes it's the followers that taught it to bring themselves power. And that's where you get this rigidity at times. But we believe in honoring um, the deep aspects of all faiths. And we say things like, we honor all paths to God. And that's true. And yet at the same time, that doesn't mean that we... um, practice all aspects of every religion. You know, I don't think you're going to see Dr. Roger ever declare a fatwa, right? (laughs) Reverend Barry, maybe, you never know, but (laughs) yeah, we absolutely reject the idea that life is a test created by God to judge our, our souls. We reject discrimination against anyone, be it because they're female or because of their sexual orientation. So we have things that we hold dear, yet we can see within all face is this thing that leads us closer to God. I'm reminded of, of Mohandas Gandhi, who uh, this Tuesday marks 70 years since he was murdered. Can you believe that? And he was such an incredible man, and he was trying to um, hold India together um, after helping to free it from British colonial rule, and it split in half, and you had... Um, devout Hindus and devout Muslims, and you eventually had India and Pakistan, and it was getting really bad, and he was on a hunger strike. And famously, he was working with a a Hindu couple who felt so bad because they were a part of a riot uh, that killed two Muslim parents orphaning their child. You know, what, what, what can we do? What can we do to repair this? And Gandhi said to them, not only take on that child as your own, but raise him in the religion of his parents. You know, that's that kind of inclusivity that we talk about here, that we believe in here. Now, talking about the the basics of our faith, Ernest Holmes is the founder of our philosophy, but if there was a a second really strong influence, um, his name was William Hornaday, Dr. Bill Hornaday. He was the minister of the Founders Church, and where Ernest Holmes 
he was kind of, he wanted to be in theater uh, and just started reading books. But, but Bill, he was born to be a minister. You know, Bill's probably why we are the church that we are today. Uh, his grandfather was a Methodist minister. His father was a Methodist minister. He wanted to be a minister. And he wanted to be one so bad that he decided to go be a missionary in China. And he was going to go save them, you know, bring them to the Lord. And he learned Chinese, and he got out there, and he started staying with a Buddhist family. And he noticed something about this family. They were very kind to each other, very compassionate, very forgiving, almost like Christians. (laughs) And they invited him to one of their Buddhist services, and he wasn't going to go. That sounded too creepy. He didn't want God to strike him down. But there was, there was one day where the man in the house um, invited him downstairs, and he sat Bill down, and he handed him two stones. And he had Bill hold them close together. And he said, if you are prejudiced towards anyone, move them a few inches apart. If you are afraid of any person, place, or thing, again, you must move them apart. If you feel guilty over something you have done in the past, move them again. If you are uncertain about your relationship with a power greater than yourself, move them once again. And finally, the man said to him, when you have forgiven yourself and others, when you have recognized that all life is God, that that life is within you, then you can bring the blocks together in wholeness. You will feel better, and life henceforth will be more meaningful. And this shook Bill to his core. And at first, he let ministry go entirely. How could I try and say that my faith is the only way and not recognize the wisdom that's, that's with everyone. And he went into business for himself for many years until he went to the Wilton, Wilton Theater in Los Angeles. And he heard a man named Ernest Holmes speak, who said that there is a power for good in the universe greater than you are, and you can use it. Who said that there is a golden thread in all faiths. And when we practice and embody the values that they teach, we realize that we're all one. See, we begin to see that religions aren't what separate us, but they're, they're like different languages, trying to explain the same truths to each one of us. And these fears, these anxieties, these resentments that the man was talking about That's what we allow to come between us and our source. That's what we allow to come between us and God. See, as much as I love Holmes' definition of religious science, what I know wholeheartedly about this faith is that it's all about God and you. It's all about you and God. And that's where rising above comes in because the coming together is the rising above. Rise above the fear And know you are one with God. Rise above the helplessness. And know that there is help in God. Rise above the toxicity, the BS, the nonsense. And know that you are one with God. 
Rise above your sense of unworthiness and know that you are one with God. I've learned two hard lessons being in this faith. I'm still learning them, to be honest. But I think there are two things that cause people to to step away from this philosophy. The first thing is, is that it is wrong to think that this philosophy will get rid of my problems. This teaching does not get rid of your problems. In fact, it may even amplify them. By that, I don't mean that it makes the problems worse, but that through practicing mindfulness, through having a practice, your problems, like it or not, become clearer and clearer. And in my years of practice, I I, I wanted my challenges to go away, but what I eventually learned is that science of mind and spirit, it, it doesn't take away my challenges. It gives me all the tools that I need so that I can confront them. And that's what I've discovered in my life is that the voices and the sound of the problems have become less and less and the voice of truth more and more in my life. But it just takes one choice to go back. They're always waiting for me if I want. And that's where that power of consciousness comes in. That's where that power of knowing we are one with a power greater than we are comes in. The second thing that I learned, and this is perhaps the hardest lesson, is that you can't be in this teaching and be unworthy. You just can't. You can't be in this teaching and not be enough. You can't see everything as one with God except for me. Okay, and a list of a couple other people I have. (laughs) You can't be in touch with God and out of touch with yourself. You just can't. We cannot know the glory of the sacred and the divine if we are not willing to step intimately, vulnerably, willing to be transformed by it. That's how powerful the divine is, but we can't know it unless we utilize the gift of ourself that the divine has given us, our mind, our body, our spirit. And I think about those moments in my life where I was slowly being awakened from the bed of my unworthiness. Because in a sense, I was born into it. I didn't start to think that I was unworthy. It was all around me. I never knew what being worthy meant. And I remember a teacher passing back a paper with a good grade on it, but I remember her saying, boy, I'm sure interested to see where you wind up 20 years from now. You know, me, the kid with spaghetti stains on his pants, really? You know, I remember meeting people early on in this church that saw that I was um, someone beautiful, someone capable. How amazing are those people who hold a higher vision for ourselves until we can step into it? And I remember stepping into ministry and the, the hundreds of people that I've gotten to work with who've given me the honor of getting to reflect their wisdom to be a representative for them. What a blessing. Can you think of those who saw you beyond your sense of unworthiness? I love something that Jean Houston said. She said that there's extraordinary encoded within each of us 
waiting to be released. There is extraordinary encoded in each of us waiting to be released. How do we release it? We have to step into that divine truth. We have to step outside of that unworthiness, which again, I know I like to own it, but I know it's not mine. It's the result of letting others think for me. It's the result of living not in the eyes of my truth or my God, but in the eyes of of perceived critics. When I am willing to not just theorize that I'm a child of God, but to know that I am loved, uplifted, and surrounded by an infinite source, it's then up to me to, to live like it, to act like it, to embody and step fully into what that means. I'd like to go back to the the slide of the earth here as we wind down. And sometimes, you know, we look out at these wide cosmos and we think, how small am I in relationship to all of this greatness? It can cause us to have a sense of insignificance to see that so much is going on. Who cares about little old me, right? But for me, the beauty of spirituality is realizing that the one is infinite, not just in its its expansiveness, but in its intimacy, in its uniqueness as you and as me. I love something the author Marilyn Robinson said. She said, we cannot know that conscious life has appeared only on earth, but we have good ground for assuming that it is rare and extraordinary enough that its vanishing would be an incalculable impoverishment. If we say that, for all we know to the contrary, there is just one minor planet in a limitless field of stars where apple trees blossom and where songs are sung, then most of us would probably grant an important centrality to that planet. And I would apply the same wisdom to to each of us that in you and as you, there is not just a need for God, but a need from God for you to be you. To awake from any sense of lack and to step fully and authentically into the willingness to be all that you can. To co-create your life with the divine power and presence. All it takes is that willingness to rise above and to see that when we do, we move out of the doldrums of the limited thinking and into a divine embrace that carries us forward.